Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the CX Cast, your source for all things experience. I am your co-host, Angelina Jenis, joined as always by Adele Sage. Hey, Adele. Hello. Today, our guest, another Forrester expert, we have VP and Principal Analyst Brandon Purcell joining us. He serves Customer Insights Leaders. Hey, Brandon, thanks so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And I'd just like to start by understanding your coverage area because Customer Insights Leaders, it feels like that's everyone these days. Who are you doing research for and what big problems are you thinking about? It's a great question. So I've been at Forrester six years now, and the role that I've traditionally written for is this customer insights professional. But I don't talk to a lot of people with that in their title. My first four years, I would say, at Forrester, I spoke primarily to marketers or to data scientists and analysts who are building models and analyses for marketing use cases. Because customer analytics, what I cover, deriving insights from customer data, usually germinates in marketing. That's where the most use cases are. They have a lot of data. What I've noticed though, and, and the reason I think I'm talking to you guys today is, is in the last few years or so, more and more folks with the word customer in their title or customer experience are starting to get involved in this insights game and avail themselves of the insights inherent in customer data. And so at the end of the day, you're right, Angelina, multiple different teams could use customer insights. What's really nice to see is that they are proliferating beyond just these kind of traditional marketing use cases. Yeah. And I feel like I've been hearing your name a lot more since we launched Forrester Decisions and we've thought differently about how to serve our clients, specifically how to meet the needs of those who need to leverage insights to make the right business decisions, to implement their strategies. And what I love that you've done recently is this periodic table of insights, because everyone needs a framework to get started. And this isn't just a framework. This is a whole different approach to collecting and analyzing insights. Do you mind telling us what this is and, and how you got the inspiration for this? Yeah, sure. I mean, the inspiration for this really came from the fact that I write for customer insights leaders. I sit on a team internally at Forrester that's called the Business Insights Team. The team focuses on the whole life cycle of insights from data to analytics to, to the action that business leaders will take. We have our data strategy and insights forum. In my world, the term insights is like Starbucks. You can't like make a term without seeing insights. But I hadn't until now come across a clear definition of what insights are. And so in doing this research for the periodic table, I asked insights leaders at companies, you know, what, how do you define insight? And honestly, these are very smart people, but most of them got tongue-tied because they hadn't actually sat down to define this term. So we had to come up with a definition of what an insight is uh, before we created the periodic table. And so Forrester's definition of an insight going forward is knowledge that improves a business's ability to make decisions and take effective action. Can you say that one more time for everybody, please? Because that's really important. Yeah. So an insight is knowledge that improves a business's ability to make decisions and take effective action. So there are two pieces of this. Of course, an insight is knowledge, usually gleaned from data, and we'll talk about how to do that with the periodic table. But there's also this inherent action bias to it, or maybe even inaction, but you're actually using it to make a decision about the best path forward. This isn't just knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? You're actually trying to capture the value of that knowledge by making a decision. It's scary because, well, I don't know if it's scary, but everyone is paralyzed by all the data they could be collecting and then figuring out what to do with it. So 
having a plan in place before you jump into it can save a lot of time and a lot of effort and actually put the power behind what you find in those insights. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I mean, people think a lot about we need to capture all the data. And there's, you know, companies talk all the time about a 360 degree view of the customer. And part of me really likes that terminology, because, you know, you want to have a holistic understanding of your customers and what they're doing. But what I don't like about it is it implies a perfect state. And it results in analysis paralysis in a lot of companies that say, look, we don't, we don't have this 360 degree view in place. So we can't even start to avail ourselves of analytics and insights. And that's not true at all. Start with the data that you have and use that to build a business case to invest in collecting more data. Back when I was an analyst covering voice of the customer programs, I feel like the same sort of theme applied then where lots of companies would try to do more and more and more data collection. They wanted to get more feedback from customers, but they weren't going through the whole cycle that we talk about where you have to also analyze the data and then take action on it and then monitor whether the action actually worked. And you know, going through that whole cycle is the difficult part, not collecting more data. And so it sounds as though that's a problem that has persisted in the last few years as well. Absolutely, Adele, yeah. I think a lot about how data has potential value in it, and then you have to analyze it and, and make decisions and take action to realize that value. And the bulk of companies are, are not even capturing the lion's share of the potential value of the data that they have. So why would you go out and you know spend resources and time collecting more data that you're probably not going to capture the potential value of? Okay. So I want to understand why we're talking about elements. Can you tell us where your mind went when you thought the current way of thinking about things isn't the right way of thinking about things? Yeah, sure. So the dominant paradigm in the analytics world for a decade plus has been this descriptive, diagnostic, predictive, prescriptive kind of evolution. And I don't want to say that's wrong. It's, it's definitely right. And actually, it, it appears in a certain way in, in the periodic table. It's just not quite granular enough. And it also implies mutual exclusivity, as if, you know, you start out doing descriptive, and then you can eventually move to predictive and prescriptive, when in reality, you should be doing all of those things. And probably for many use cases, applying descriptive and predictive techniques for the same use case. And that's why I thought it'd be great to create a periodic table of insights that talks about all of the different analytics techniques that companies apply to their data to find these insights and show how companies can combine these different elements into molecules to actually increase the, the impact of their, their analytical efforts. It's wonderfully nerdy. I like it. It is it's super, super nerdy. <laughs> I actually, I, I had an opportunity to present it for the first time at our data strategy and insights forum, which is pretty nerdy event in, in the best way possible and got to dress up kind of like Bill Nye, the science guy and do a little science experiment to introduce it, which was a, a lot of fun. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we have Adams now. What's the first step to adopting this as a new approach? Because it can be very comforting to have a process that you've been using for a long time and be very linear in how we do things. So how do you see maybe the clients that you work with kind of take the first step here? Well, one of the benefits of, of using like the existing periodic table 
paradigm is that the periodic table of elements has different classes of elements within it. And same here, there are different classes of analytical techniques that lead to different types of insights. And so the first thing that leaders should ask themselves is, okay, what are we actually trying to do? In many cases, what you're trying to do is just aggregate data or just quantify something. And so there are a number of techniques that help you quantify. Aggregation is one of them, but sometimes you might want to compare two things. What were sales in region A versus region B? Maybe you need to normalize. Um, so those would be quantification practices where the insight is just quantifying something you really already know. In a number of cases, however, you don't know the thing. You might have a hypothesis or a hunch that you want to either validate or disprove. And so there are a number of techniques to help with validation, things like correlation analysis. Can I validate that you know these two variables are related in a certain way? Or even going deeper than that, causal inference. So can I actually create a causal path, A happened, then B happened, and therefore C? Now, when people think of insights, often they think of a eureka or aha moment, like, oh my gosh, here's something I never knew before. We call that class of, of elements the discovery elements. And Adele, you mentioned voice of the customer before. You know, I did a lot of uh, VOC analysis actually before I became a Forrester analyst. One of the best way of finding these, these aha moments, these emerging trends in VOC data was actually just to read through it or read through a random sample. So random sampling is actually one of the elements here that you could use to discover. There are also machine learning based approaches like association rules mining, which is if you've heard of market basket analysis or the old kind of canonical insight that when people on their way home from work go to the grocery store, they often pick up beer and diapers. That's from association rules mining or clustering analysis, where you're kind of grouping, in many cases, customers together who behave similarly that you might not intuitively have known existed. And anomaly detection, too, where you're using machine learning to identify statistically significant anomalies or aberrations from what is, quote unquote, normal. So that's discovery. And then I mentioned before that this the periodic table actually reflects that uh, descriptive, diagnostic, predictive, prescriptive, there is a class of elements that are all about prediction. So the data scientists, if any are listening, will, will know that regression is a way of predicting a numeric value, like predicting sales into the future or, or revenue. Classification, on the other hand, like in my world of customer analytics, oftentimes you're trying to predict an event that a customer is likely to churn or to buy is basically you're predicting that they'll belong to that class of buyers or of churners. So that's that's not a numeric variable. That's a, what we would call a categorical variable. And so there are a series of algorithms for classification. One specific algorithm that's really good at classification of particularly unstructured data is deep learning or deep neural networks. And so we called that out separately just because the whole reason that we have an AI renaissance right now is actually because of advances in deep learning and its applications to things like computer vision and speech recognition. And then finally, I know uh, this is a long-winded answer, but the final class of elements is around optimization. So if you're a leader and you want to optimize, but you have constraints you might use constrained optimization or say you want to figure out optimal decisions to make, but you can't actually test them in the real world. Maybe there's a high risk scenario. Maybe there are not enough opportunities to test them. You may run some sort of simulation. And then the, the most kind of emerging technique here is, uh, is reinforcement learning, which differs from traditional machine learning in that it's actually learning by interacting with its environment, conducting all sorts of micro experiments. Um, to learn the optimal path forward. 
you know, in the world of customer analytics, maybe that optimal path is the one that increases lifetime value the most. So there you have it. Five different classes, quantify, validate, discover, predict, and optimize. It really gets you excited to get very sophisticated because when we start talking about things like simulation, my ears really perk up. The possibilities Mm -hmm. when you actually go about this in a robust way seem really exciting for organizations, what they can learn from their data. Yeah. I mean, I get really excited about it and um, certainly all, all the kind of data and analytics folks do as well. Do you have an example of an organization that takes this approach? So I have examples of organizations that combine multiple elements to increase their impact because what I found is that there are a few different use cases for the periodic table. And one of them is to actually heat map what you're doing today and then identify gaps. Like what are different elements or types of analyses that you're not doing? Or are there different types of of insights? Like are you doing enough discovery, for instance, to find these non-intuitive sorts of insights? And in general, companies should be applying multiple different analytical elements to create um, more impactful insights. And so I do have a couple of examples of, of companies doing those. Perhaps my favorite is from a company called Esports One. I don't know if either of you are gamers, but Esports One has an ambition to create the first and only esports fantasy destination. So just as, as folks play fantasy football or fantasy baseball, in Esports One, you can go in and actually create your fantasy team of professional gamers who play things like League of Legends. And to do this, of course, Esports One needed stats. You know, when you're selecting a fantasy football team, you're looking at touchdowns and yards and and whatnot. You can tell I don't play fantasy football, but they needed stats. And these stats weren't readily available. It's not like League of Legends posts all of these stats or what it does post are very limited. And so Esports One decided, well, we could probably use computer vision to watch these professional esports tournaments and create the stats on the fly. And so they apply deep learning or computer vision to actually watch the contest and create the stats. So here's how many kills this person got. Here's how many points. And they aggregated and also normalized so that they could compare apples to apples when comparing players. They created all sorts of descriptive statistics. And then, like I said, they compared. So that was one stream of analysis where they combined multiple different insights elements that started with that that deep learning or computer vision. On the other hand, they realized, okay, well, we have to get the right stats into the hands of the right users, the people who are actually creating these esports fantasy teams. And so they wanted to do analysis on the users themselves. They realized there's some users who are very well versed in the world of gaming and some who are inherently noobs. And so to do that, they combined path analysis. They looked at the journeys that their different users were on. They did clustering analysis, segmenting the users based on their behavior. And then they, they actually just tested. They tested different types of content for different people, knowing that you know for one segment of users, they have a very baseline understanding about gaming, whereas others are probably going to be more interested in more esoteric statistics. Based upon the results of that test, they created a recommendation engine that merged the output of the statistical learnings from computer vision with the, the personas of these users. And so they're creating this, this next best experience ultimately for their users. And, and it's been really successful for them. I mean, 
They have 35,000 fans who signed up for the beta launch of its League of Legends fantasy platform. And they've created this great competitive differentiator, which is a database going all the way back to 2010 on every player, team, and event for professional League of Legends tournaments. It kind of makes me think about our guests that we've had on who talked about diversity and inclusion and ensuring that, that you are building personas not based on biases, so not using traditional demographics and segmentation data. If you're following uh, what this organization did, you could certainly try to avoid any sort of preconceived biases and construct based on actual behaviors. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Angelina. I mean, my, the other research stream that I cover at Forrester is around uh, responsible AI. And of course, you know, algorithmic bias and fairness is a big part of that. I'm actually writing a report right now on fairness because there are 21 different mathematical definitions or ways of measuring fairness. And which you apply depends on the use case in the societal context. And, you know, another one of the reasons I wanted to do this periodic table of insights work is because a lot of companies, especially ones that are more analytically sophisticated, their data science team just goes right for prediction, right? And so they're like, we want to just optimize the accuracy of these predictions. And that's exciting from a data science perspective. But if you don't do the necessary descriptive analysis first, you could end up with these kind of inherent biases. And that's what happened. You know, Optum Health last year, it was found that they had created this model to predict the overall sickness of their patients. And it was found that the, the model actually underestimated the healthcare needs of Black patients vis-a-vis -vis white patients. And that's because the model actually didn't predict sickness. It predicted healthcare expense or the cost. And for a number of reasons, historically, white patients have received more care and more cost than Black patients. And so the model picked up on that. And, you know, fortunately, this was brought to light and they've addressed this. But you can imagine the type of consequences this could have for a group of people. So does that mean that these sections are linear? You know, do you, if I'm, I'm a, a CX pro, I have a couple of data sets, I, I want to kind of apply this periodic table of insights. What does that actually look like? What, how do I start? How do I think about what I need when? Walk me through like a use case. Yeah, sure. So there are two, two main use cases for the, the periodic table of insights. One would be to understand what you're doing now and where the gaps are. So are there certain techniques that we're not using? In that Optum Health case, like they hadn't done the necessary descriptive statistics on the training data to understand that this was ultimately inevitably going to be a problem, right? So that's the, that's the first one. The second one is what I found is because CX leaders often don't have their own analytical resources, or maybe they have a couple, but they need to tap into analytical resources. Maybe it's a centralized analytics team. It could be folks in marketing or, or some other persona within the organization. They need to have kind of a Rosetta Stone when they interact with these folks. And this periodic table actually gives them the vernacular that the data scientists and analysts use when describing their work. And one of the biggest pain points in the analytics community is doing work and then presenting it to business stakeholders and then it going nowhere, not being operationalized. And that largely comes down to the inability to communicate what they did in a way that engenders trust in the outcome. So by speaking the same language with the folks who are actually producing the insights for you, you're going to get that level of trust and understanding that gives you the confidence to make better decisions. 
And I feel like that comes back also to your definition of insight, which includes action. And right. so just coming up with the, you know, the interesting output does not necessarily drive the action if nobody takes the action. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. There's like a Zen cone in there. Like if, if an insight happens and no one takes action, is it still valuable? Is it really an insight? Is it really an insight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is all really interesting. What is next in this stream of research for you? Yeah, well, what I've been thinking about a lot is that final piece, the, the action piece, and actually making those decisions to take effective action, because a lot of the different techniques in the periodic table, the output is inherently probabilistic, meaning that there is some assigned confidence score or propensity, and you have to take an action based upon that. And whether or not you decide to take that action is largely based on probability, but also the use case, for instance, like if you have a model that's 99% accurate, that's great in many use cases. But if that model is powering like the detection of stop signs and computer vision for an autonomous vehicle, then it's worthless, right? So you need to be able to first understand the context of accuracy or, or probability in the use case. And then also, I think there's a, a real psychological element to it, which I'm excited to dive into. You know, what is your own risk aversion? or your own willingness to, to make bets. And that's gonna come down to, in a lot of cases, company culture too. Some companies are doing very well. They're sitting on a lot of cash they can afford to make big bets, others cannot. With this research, I'm, I'm gonna to try to help people with both the math side of it, of making probabilistic decisions in faced with uncertainty and the psychological side of it. I smell a collaboration here, guys. Angelina <laughs> on the culture side. Yeah. Let's do it. That would be great. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a treat. Oh, for me too. I hope that everybody goes out and uses the periodic table of insights, mixes up their atoms into molecules, and comes <laughs> out with insights that everybody is taking action on. So thank you for inspiring our listeners and for explaining more about this valuable research. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. And thanks for all of you for listening. We will be back next time.